Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there, and welcome to a Monday in May, the 10th specifically. And uh, hope you guys had a nice weekend. I hope, uh, you know, Mother's Day was a nice day. I guess it can be a sad day for a lot of people as well. Uh, I, oh God, do I want to go here on a Monday? Um, <laughs> while I was uh, trying to get myself awake this morning, I uh, was shuffling around through news sources and I saw something, a, a startling headline, actually. And it's not that I want to really talk about it, but here I go. I must want to, or I wouldn't have started with this. The headlines were, the headline was, God, it's Monday. The headline was, there were at least nine mass shootings across the United States this weekend. Now, the, the reason it caught my eye <laughs> was because I was unaware of any of them. <laughs> um, I thought... Wow, nine mass shootings. And I didn't know about any of them, and I read the news every day. Yeah, but I think what that shows you, now it's true, I think the last one was a little bit more, the death toll was a little higher or something. But what it shows is that this is getting close to not being news in this country. And I can't imagine that there's another country in the world that is not considered a failed state that would have such a headline in its Monday reportage. There were at least, I mean, even in the headline, they're hedging their bets because it could well be there are more, and since they barely even get covered anymore, whoever was aggregating this uh, had only found nine. As I said, this is, this would be, in any other civilized nation, huge news. Uh, uh, and what's unsettling is that quite clearly it is ho-hum to us. It is the norm. And we know the definition of news is not what is the norm. Dog bites man. But the 
thing that is unusual. So nine mass shootings in one weekend in America is quickly becoming not unusual. And when I read, um, trying to remember, I think the Post-Gazette did have a story about one. And uh, this was a yet another birthday party gone wrong. Uh, but other than the, the other eight not mentioned, now maybe they got a little snippet in yesterday's paper or the paper after that or the paper before that. But it's just not enough of a story. You know, because only at this point, many are in critical condition, but only 15 people were killed. Only 15 people are dead. And, well, 30 uh, more are uh, injured in these nine shootings since Friday night. Did you even know? And do we even have, I don't know, the capacity to respond? There was a shooting last night at the Phoenix Hyatt Regency uh, Hotel. There was a shooting and stabbing and fire at uh, a townhome in Woodland, Maryland that left three dead, or no, four. There was uh, three killed and nine injured in uh, Los Angeles, uh, Newark, four people, Milwaukee, uh, still um, some sparse detail, St. Louis, Missouri. These are... I, and I don't think I even mentioned the, the, the big one. The bigger one was in Colorado Springs, six dead. Um, I'm just saying. I'm just saying we're, we're quickly becoming immune. And our news media are quickly becoming bored. So that's something. Here to counter that, um, another thing I came upon uh, over this bloody weekend, as they all are in uh, the United States, is a little piece from The Atlantic. And it, um, it was titled, America's Moon Effort is Getting Weirder. Now, uh, this is something, it doesn't tell us anything we don't know, but it wants to underscore what is happening for those who aren't paying close attention. And we've talked about this before. You know, NASA used to be the driver of space exploration, right? That I said right. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Sorry. 
I'm trying to stop from saying right, for those of you who don't know why I'm calling attention to it. Uh, but pretty much the two big figures now, and certainly the one big figure now in space exploration for our country, is not a representative of the country. It's just a citizen, a guy. Well, he happens to be uh, one of the richest people in the world. But it's his game now, Elon Musk. With Jeff Bezos right, right behind him. Both guys made their pitches to the U.S. government to, to, uh, to be the one chosen to be in charge of this moon launch, this next NASA mission. And Elon Musk won. SpaceX, his company, won it. Bezos went berserk and has uh, appealed that. And now it's all on hold. And so what you got here is two of the richest people in the world, and certainly two of the richest Americans, obviously, going toe-to-toe about wanting to have the moon. <laughs> why, why, you want it all in the moon, too? Yeah, they do. Private companies and the billionaires who own them are, are now doing the work that was once reserved for the government. And as such, they are shaping the future of space travel or whatever, business or whatever. So I just wanted to point that out again because to me that is odd. I even think it's odd we're going back to the moon again. Been there, did that, right? Why are we doing that again? And that's what this the contest was about, to be the one who did this new, uh, put American astronauts back on, on the moon. Now, I sure hope I'm wrong. But this new moonshot, which we obviously know we can do, it won't come with a sort of heart in the mouth and, you know, the, the terror, uh, the anxiety of the, of the last one. Been there, done that. But it says right here, this moonshot is named Artemis for the uh, sister of Apollo. And I'm not quite sure what they're going to do up there, but they'll obviously be doing scientific experimentation of some sort. But it says right here that Artemis, that mission, is even though I guess the astronauts that have that are hoping to be on that flight have not been chosen. I'm saying that with that alley girl accent because I'm not sure I'm right, but I don't think they've been chosen. I haven't seen anybody's picture. 
And I mention it because this time that crew we do know will include a woman and a person of color, as we say. So that raised a question in my head. <laughs> Are we do please tell me we're not doing this just so uh just so you know, just to make a a woke point. Please tell me that's not why we're doing this. I mean I'm sure there's other reasons, but the moon, been there, done that. I'm sure there's stuff we can exploit on the moon. We can start trashing it like we trash everything. But so much of what we do now is robotized. Just look at what's going on, my God, on Mars. Um, is it necessary to risk human life going back up there? Or is it just to get into the history books, the first woman and the first person of color, so that the moon doesn't look quite so white and male? I'm just asking. I don't have a clue. I don't know. I don't understand anything anymore. <laughs> I really don't. And you see there's this like healthy dose of of sort of skepticism and some cynicism and some what's that about and why and I I just don't I don't know if any of you I hadn't paid any attention to the space stuff for a long 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 time I have to admit they've hooked me back in a little bit um, the Mars stuff got me very interested again just because of the awesomeness of uh, what they're what they're able to do. Um, but what's scary is knowing that the end result of all of this really is for, again, the rich. <laughs> the rich and powerful to uh, get richer and more powerful and for nation states to uh, gain more advantage for, for, you know, God knows what. Usually not anything good. I don't know. So, just wanted to point that out, okay? <clears throat> and one other space-related thing. So the Chinese uh, rocket came crashing back to Earth, and it, 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 I mean, the odds were it would go into water because um, all you have to do is look at the Earth from an astronaut's vantage point, and and you see why it's we're the blue planet. Uh, yeah. But in reading an article that I think was written Saturday before the Chinese rocket had come back, there was an article about it and where it might land and all of that and the fact that scientists are capable of um, making this uh, less anxiety-producing, and the Chinese have simply uh, been irresponsible in this regard. They don't give a damn. They just let it fall wherever the hell it falls, and they they keep doing that. 
But I learned something in reading the article that I didn't know, and it disabused me of something I thought I had known. And I think something that I that I spoke of uh, just a week or so ago, and it was about the International Space Station. And I said that, you know, while here on Earth <laughs> things are going as, uh, as they often do, which is to hell in a handbasket, uh, up there orbiting around our Earth is a man-made object, this International Space Station, uh, crafted mostly by two countries, two nation-states who don't trust each other at all. That would be uh, Russia and the United States. And also with help from other companies, space uh, countries, space programs. And I was saying how it's the one place where you can look and see a glimmer of hope that humans are capable of setting aside their earthbound, often petty differences and unite in a common cause. And to me, the International Space Station, because you know, they, they, we just sent... I guess it was in the news again, and I brought it up because Elon Musk, who runs, has replaced NASA, apparently. Elon Musk uh, sent the last crew up and took the other, another crew back, by the way, landing them with, you know, in a, contr in a controlled manner so they didn't endanger anybody. And um, I think one of the astronauts was Japanese and another was French. Yes, because we talked about the food he would eat. He had better food. And that got me into thinking about how wonderful it is, all those people working together. And, uh, and I said that this is the one place where you can see that the whole world worked together for common purpose and where enemies on Earth uh, work together as friends and colleagues in space. What I didn't know is what I wanted to tell you, and I, I'm sure some of you did. The reason the Chinese sent this 23-ton rocket up in the first place, the one that now came down, is because it was carrying uh, more uh, parts of the space station that they are building. And in the article, it said it was the third space station that the Chinese have built. And I thought, wait a minute. Why are they building their own space stations when everybody else is sharing uh, this one? And then I found it out. And guess what it is? It involves us. And I... China's 
space station is intended as an alternative to the International Space Station. <laughs> and the reason uh, the Chinese are building it is because the Chinese have been excluded from the International Space Station. I did not know that. How? Why? Well, it turns out they've been excluded by us, by a law, which takes us to the U.S. Congress. I don't know when it was passed, but obviously our Congress <laughs> passed a law saying we'll cooperate with absolutely anybody up there, but not the Chinese. And so that took the bloom off the rose for me, my, my you know, joyous uh, hopefulness about what the International Space Station portended, perhaps. Look at this. All the countries of the Earth, even if they're enemies on Earth, working together. Not. I did not know. There's never been a Chinese astronaut on the International Space Station, I guess. Unless there was, and then we passed the law. We'll never let that happen again. I don't know. And it says that this U.S. law, which again, I haven't looked into what is that law exactly, and what exactly did it say, but the law prohibits cooperation with China in space. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, well, that law is probably based in our understandable uh, concern that the Chinese may be appearing to cooperate, but really what they intend to do is steal all the, all the know-how we got, because they're known for stealing stuff. I assume a lot of other countries do as well. But I assume the law was to keep them, keep their noses out of, uh, you know, our, our business. But it strikes me as unhelpful because now what do the Chinese do? They do what they're doing. They go and build their own. And so it ain't going to be so nice up there because there will be this one space station and then there will be the space station built by the people who were excluded from that space station. And I don't know about you, but my understanding of human nature is that that can only spell trouble. So those are some of the things I, I learned. I got one more sciencey thing which I really find fascinating. I'd heard of this before, but I never read so much about it. And it has to do with the pandemic, but it's one of these things that has come out of the pandemic that is very uh, hopeful in terms of being uh, not caught flat-footed the next time some little microscopic killer uh, uh, starts trying
trying to take us down. And there are, as we know, people who work just with viruses. Those are the scientists called virologists. And during the pandemic, <clears throat> virologists at um, a number of universities have been tracking the coronavirus by analyzing wastewater in whatever city they're in. So if they're doing it here, they're cooperating with Alcasan, and every time you poop, you know, if that's where it ends up going, it's possible, I don't know that they're doing it here, I don't think they are, that somehow uh, you will become part of a sample that is looked at by these virologists because when people have COVID, they do shed the virus in their excrement. So the work of these virologists has now shown, since we've been in this thing now well over a year, that this is a really smart way to surveil viruses and infectious disease. Because you're looking, you know, you're not looking at an individual. These are not individual tests, obviously. Nobody knows whose poop they're looking at. But that takes in a whole community. And it has worked so well that the CDC has now uh, created something called the National Wastewater Surveillance System. And they're hoping that that will obviously help local municipalities who want to do this surveillance, and it is smart to do it, it will um, help them in that effort. It is the first system of its kind in this country. Other countries have done this kind of thing uh, before, but we have not. And, and so now we know that these virologists, these scientists working in the United States, in France, India, Iran, Brazil, Canada, all over the world are seeing the same kind of data. They're sharing it. And this is how you get ahead of variants. In fact, it was in, I believe, Missouri that the virologist uh, there saw what was clearly um, uh, something new. It was COVID, but it was a COVID variant, and it, it, it turns out it was the variant from the UK. However, when that was reported to the health officials, they said, we have no uh, indication uh, that that variant is here. We've tested no person who has it, but the wastewater doesn't lie. It was there. And they were forewarned. It's here. You just haven't encountered 
anybody who's got it. But so this way, sewage, our sewage it can be a really effective and impactful early warning system. And what these virologists have been able to do is give heads up to uh, health officials that uh, something coming down the pike here, uh, better be ready. And so this kind of stuff could actually uh, help health officials stay ahead of the next emergency, the next pandemic. I mean, this is something a little unsettling. An Italian virologist team recently found in wastewater that the coronavirus was already in northern Italy in mid-December of 2019, days before China first reported its first cases. So, I mean, think of if we, you know, what I, you know, I thought, I mean, wow, you know, the poop doesn't lie. Or, I'm going to get Latinish, in feces veritas. In feces veritas. There you go. I'm just saying. Oh. Okay. That was it. Oh. One other a little... Um, unhappy thing I noted. I don't know what day it was. Maybe it was Saturday. It was one of those rainy days, rainy and cold, and I was holed up here having trouble, you know, getting off the couch. And I think, uh, yeah, I put on CNN for a sec, and it was like in an afternoon, I didn't, and the video that I was looking at was a, an anchor person, but behind her, uh, a, a shot of an empty lectern with American flags behind it. And I thought, oh, that looks like the shot they always take before, you know, like the president comes out and gives a speech. And um, I turned it up. <clears throat> and it turned out to be coverage of a rally although I didn't I, I, I'm looking at a lectern I'm looking at a you know a stage it was a rally obviously before the rally it was an empty stage and the anchor said that Matt Gates and what's her name, uh, Green, Marjorie Taylor Green, were about to team up 
and they were, you know, I guess spreading their their hoo-ha propaganda, white nationalist crapola. Here you have uh, a guy who's probably uh, a pedophile and a woman who's, um, I don't know, a Nazi, I think. And CNN was breathlessly waiting to give them free coverage, I guess. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I thought, this is what these fools did for Donald Trump. Because these two people are dangerous and they're clowns. They're dangerous clowns. But what does TV love? A circus. So they just can't help themselves. And to see them doing it again for these low lives, these nobodies, these two, you know, members of Congress, these two criminals in waiting, and they're going to get free coverage of their slimy little lie-spewing crusade, whatever it was at the moment, yeah? And then the anchor person says that so-and-so, a reporter, was on the scene and went to the reporter. And the reporter was, I couldn't understand, it was in a different location, but where there were people, and the anchor says to the reporter, wow, that looks like a Trump rally there. And the reporter said, yeah, it feels like a Trump rally too, and this thing's going to get going in just a few minutes. I understand Matt Gates is going to talk about his vision for the country. I don't know if his vision involves goose-stepping and crematoria, but it ain't going to be good, whatever it was. And there were these two women, the anchor at CNN on whatever day this was, and the reporter, and they were sent, it wasn't their call, to give this kind of breathless coverage. And the anchor said it at again at, at one point. In just a few minutes, they'll be taking... You know, clearly saying, hang on, I know we got an empty stage here, but hang on. This, to me, is media at its most irresponsible. And I'm afraid to say it shows they haven't learned a damn thing. They are unable to quit the clown show. They just can't. Even knowing where that clown show leads, they can't. And I have to tell you, all the stories I read or things that I saw or came upon over the three days, even more than the nine mass killings in, you know, a weekend, seeing CNN do that 
was the most dispiriting moment for me. Mm. So, interesting piece in today's New York Times in a column called The Interpreter. This shows up every once in a while trying to make sense of things that, you know, we have trouble making sense of. It's written by a guy named Max Fisher. Uh, it is about the tsunami of misinformation that we're all wallowing in uh, so that facts become fake news. <laughs> and what passes for news on Fox and other sources is just flat-out propaganda and often flat-out lies. And we know that we are in a post-factual America, and it's a scary place to be. And this is an effort to, this piece was an effort to explain what is it about people, and it's something we've talked about, what is it about people that they're willing to swallow this swill? And here's a little bit. It's psychology, of course. It's that pesky thing I call human nature, unfortunately. It has to do with we're animals and our singular purpose is to survive and to procreate. That reduces us to the essence of what it is to be a living thing, right? Survive and procreate. People, it says here, become more prone to taking in misinformation when there are three things at play. The first one being when conditions in a society make people want to find like-minded souls. It's called they want to in-group. You know, they're feeling a little anxious. Things are happening around them and they don't know what to make of them and they look for like-minded folk. They look for their people. This is very, you know, this is, again, human nature. You don't want to be alone. This stuff's happening. And when people are looking to in-group, they look for people like themselves. Some people... It's people who think like them. Other people, it's people who look like them. Who live in the same place. But in-grouping is a way of then making your social identity, how you define, how you identify yourself, it makes that central to your sense of well-being and it often makes you feel stronger and it makes you often feel superior. And 
I know we all like to think of ourselves as rational, but again, we are animals. And we are social animals, and we are wired to survive. And so when we're in an environment of perceived danger, we band together with our own, and we are eager to take in any information that buttresses our sense of right, righteousness, and our sense of the other's nefariousness. So, misinformation, (laughs) this is a field day for those who peddle that, is prevalent among groups that are destabilized, countries that are destabilized. And they're destabilized by unwanted change or a sense of powerlessness. I would argue they're destabilized by a black man being elected president twice. So growing hostility between these groups and the two, we can really pretty much break it down into two halves of America. It feeds distrust, obviously, and distrust makes people much more willing to take in false information. And once a human brain sort of switches into this identity-based conflict mode, we are very hungry for information that will affirm that which we believe, which will affirm the us versus them. That becomes much more important than truth versus lies. No, what helps us come together against them? Another driver of disinformation um, is high-profile influential figures who peddle it. And man, we're knee-deep in those in this country. Donald Trump uh, showed us a human version, if you want to call him human, a human version that attained the presidency. And you saw what that can do. And so he was able, with his constant lies, to create a cult of personality and to literally capture one of the two political parties in this country as his own.
And the third driver of this tsunami of misinformation is social media, is technology. And the fact is, is that, yeah, the Pandora's box is open and there's no, no uh, putting the lid back on the misinformation uh, because social media is just an extraordinary multiplier of it. So, I, you know, sorry. I mean, we often hear uh, people on our side saying, what's wrong with them? Why can't they see what makes them believe this stuff that is provably false? Well, there's your answer. They have to, or they don't sleep at night. And one social scientist, I think, or a psychiatrist, put it this way. Belonging, belonging is stronger than facts. Belonging is what is needed for the human to feel safe. Facts, eh, not so much. So there's that. Well, gal, dang it. I actually, uh, I watch the, the Kentucky Derby every year. I don't know why. Um, and I have to tell you, this year, when that same guy won again, it's like, I thought, what? Him? Yeah, he's won like a gazillion of these races. He has been caught doping his horses numerous times, and he's still allowed to enter the Kentucky Derby, win, and then, oh, we find he doped again. I mean, I know a lot of these so-called sports are not very well uh, patrolled, but this one is ridiculous that this guy, who's a known cheater, he's like a Lance Armstrong. He just keeps winning and winning and the accolades keep coming. <laughs> and people can say, but, 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 and nothing happens until it does. And I thought, wow. So apparently they're waiting on a second drug test. And if that confirms it, um, his horse, they're, they're taking the, the, the prize away from him and giving it to the horse who came in second, who didn't have as good a drugs or something. I don't know. I wondered, wait a minute. So this, this horse that won, Medina Spirit, Medina Spirit, uh, was not expected to win. 
So people who place bets on this horse, whoo, and even if it turns out that the horse was roided up, all those payouts at, at, at the track on all those bets, they're not getting that back. And all the people who bet on the second place uh, horse, who very well may end up being the first place horse, they don't get, they lost. <laughs> Something's wrong all, any way you look at this story, something stinks to high heaven. That's all I want to say. And the other thing I want to say that really upsets me, because you know I'm easily upset, the thing that really upsets me is I saw, I think it was a headline in the Post-Gazette or something. I don't know where it was. But it said that um, Medina, what's its name? I'm sorry, I'm blanking. Medina Spirit, Medina Spirit. Should uh, should be barred immediately from the Preakness. Well, I took issue with that. The friggin' horse didn't cheat. It's not Medina Spirit that should be, you know. What? Okay, I've got a caller. Apparently, it's this Bob Baffert. What? This crook. This shyster, this criminal, this creep, don't blame it on the goddamn horse. Clarence? Yes, it's me again. That's what I know. You're so, you're so constant that even my producer knows you. So he wrote, he didn't say caller when he texted me, he said Clarence. <laughs> Must be a Clarence show or something. Um, yeah. Back to what you were talking about before the horse, which I really don't care about. <laughs> I say okay. drug them all just, just to make it fair. Um, the, the, but here's uh, the other thing. No, I'm going to add this. When they're drugged, these poor horses like might have a bad knee, but they don't feel it. So they run like hell, and they break down. They're killing these horses. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Well, you know, once again, at the base of the, the horse racing, is humans with their bets, yeah. you know, their sports excitement and all that stuff, you know. Yeah, and money, money, yeah. money, 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 money. All that money, that money. I know. But that, uh, what you were talking about earlier about, you know, humans picking a side and only going yeah. with facts that, you know, I'm sure you heard the term confirmation bias. Yes. You know, that's, that's one of those things that I always Always making sure that I'm not doing. <laughs> it's a, I, I have to read, reread, double check facts and figures and all that kind of stuff to make sure that I'm not just confirming, <clears throat> you know, what I think. You know. Well, you know what? I just want to say side. that when I, huh? if we're, if it's us versus them, and we're talking about this confirmation bias stuff mm -hmm. and why people can believe lies. When we talk about it, we're not thinking that we ourselves are taking in lies. Yeah, exactly. We're only exactly. thinking that obviously they are. Yeah. So yeah. this is not something we're doing. We're we're the 
rational ones. But that can't be true either. To that, that's why. That's that's why I was saying I have to make sure. I mean, it's, it's yeah. almost to the point of an obsession of mine that I yeah. that somebody can say, well, here's I got to be able to be four or five moves ahead of somebody I'm I'm arguing with. You know what I mean? Well, here's exactly. why you're wrong. No, this is why I'm not wrong. Here's why you're wrong on that. No, this is why I'm not wrong. <laughs> I got to be able to almost get into their heads to see where they're coming from so that I can, you know, make sure that I'm not, you know, confirming yeah. my own biases. Believing what you need to believe. but Because exactly. I think we do. And I can tell, uh, you know, if you watch enough, like, you know, MSNBC, let's say, or mm-hmm. something that is, you know, geared to making sure that we keep hearing our point of view repeated and repeated and repeated. Mm-hmm. Um, don't tell me there's not, you know, stuff that is being ignored and stuff that I, it's why I can't cable news in general makes me insane. I watch one cable news show and it's only like okay. maybe two, two or three times a week. Maybe, maybe if I'm lucky, and that's what? Rachel Maddow because okay. she, <laughs> what, you know, what she chooses is biased, but what she talks about, what she chooses, it's not. You know what I mean? She she doesn't really put a spin on it. She's very prof- professorial. Is that how it is? Yes, she is. In, in, and in it, her, you know, delivery. She, it is uh-huh. being in a class, and it's like, yeah. Uh, yeah, she takes you step by step by step by step. And, um, yeah, a lot of people don't want to listen to that kind of, because they do, you do feel like you're in school. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But right, yeah. you're yeah. you're right. She her the choices of what she talks about are you know biased. The choice is, but the presentation is very, very clear. Yeah, and, and I found another person. Although she doesn't have a TV show, but she writes you know her thing on Facebook, and I think she has a blog. And that's Heather Cox Richardson. Have you ever heard of her? Yes, I have, but I don't know why. The name definitely is familiar. Who's the one female historian that you like? Oh, that's who it is. Heather Cox Richardson. Um, what's her name? Yeah. I have her books right behind me. Um, well, turn around. <laughs> Doris Kearns Goodwin. Doris Kearns Goodwin. She's the next generation of Doris Kearns. That's. That's, did that's, I just read? Uh, did, did she have a book out? The Juneteenth book is that her book? I'm not sure. I've, I've never. Yes, I, I don't know is. about her book, but I know about her blog, and I know about you know her her her, her post on Facebook. It's like it's my cup of coffee in the morning read. You know, it's very well done. You know, and that's that's one of those people who has a bias, but her facts and her figures and her historical knowledge. It's, it's oh, like going to class. It's like, you know, a okay. quick, you make class in the morning. But okay. the, the, one, the one thing that I've done in my brain. Richardson Cox. Huh. I've got to look her up because oh, it's much. not, yeah. she didn't do the Juneteenth book because that's another historian, Annette mm-hmm. Gordon-Reed, who's supposed to be really good. Yes. Okay. You know, these women with their three names, they should just, her name should just, you know, stop taking a men's name. It's the new era. <laughs> but, um. I don't like all these three names either. First of all, it's hard enough for me to remember one, mm-hmm. let alone two. I mean, I, I three. Yeah. What the way I stopped the, the being, uh, I have my nephew's dog. I'm dog sitting. I was going to ask. Okay. <laughs> a, a German Shepherd puppy. 
this, this thing is murder. Oh, right. Don't you said you were, my, you were my, training. <laughs> I'm trying to. Um, <laughs> the, the, um, the, the way I've, you know, this stay away from um, my side kind of thing is to just remove myself from all sides and just think of my, and I've been preaching this since for almost 30 years now. Get rid of the ideas of race and religion and ethnicity and all that kind of stuff as the number one identifier for yourself. Just think of yourself as a human first that identifies as blank. You know, and then just remove yourself from, from all that stuff because they, they're all uh, made up things that humans came up with. You know what I mean? What do they call constructs? So human constructs. Every single one of them. <laughs> you know, so they're not real in the sense that they're not, nat you know, you're not born into it. You're well, you know what? I was it. thinking, okay, so <laughs> if you were to pick, pick five nouns, not adjectives, mm -hmm. five nouns that describe you, another, like, man, I don't know, would you even do oh. that, male? Okay, I so say, you I wouldn't even do that. I wouldn't even give myself Okay, you would male. say what, human? Okay, human. human. Yeah. You can't you can't escape that one. Human. Yeah, I'm bald. I'm bald. Oh, uh, no, that's an adjective. Here's another one. Son. Yes, I'm a son. That's true. Uncle. I might put uncle. Uncle. Yeah, yeah I'm actually uncle. going in order here. Well, okay, but but <laughs> things like that defying you that you, yeah. you don't you don't say no. That's not me. But so I'm you a, don't have a lot of people like me. Mm -hmm. I would, in my top five, have Jew. Yeah. That's an identity. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think... And you would not have black. No, absolutely not. Okay. And I think, I, I think, I think you'll, you take Jew because of all of the um, times people tried to get rid of Jew, so you're not going to give that well, up. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So no, that's, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want I, I, it, and I'll be damned yeah. if anyone will take that from me because mm -hmm. it's clearly... It's a it's a reviled group, and I want to proudly state I'm part of it. Yeah, and, and I mean, if the history wasn't there, you know, if the history wasn't there, I think you'd I be, wouldn't. you know. Yeah. No, I wouldn't care. My identity yeah. is is that is a middle finger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, because that, that's actually a good um, a good little test that I might you know go go through people. Okay. okay, describe yourself without your race, ethnicity, nationality, you know. Yeah, but you oh, can't man. do nouns because adjectives nouns, yeah. are easy. I mean, yeah. you can, whatever, adjectives, you can mm -hmm. go, but nouns, what are you? And, you know, you can totally take refuge in the familial thing, but mm -hmm. a family, the son, the uncle, the brother, mm -hmm. those yeah. So is a kind of tribe too. That's at the at the at the lower end is you know family. That's the first tribe. What's 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 really interesting about that is, I probably have more kids who call me Uncle Clarence that aren't blood relatives. That actually have mm -hmm. blood relatives that call me Uncle Clarence. Mm -hmm. I have friends. Well, my one friend, she has a cooking school. She says, "Well, I got to get off the phone. I have to call my real dad." <laughs> because I'm, I'm, I'm closer to a father to her than I am a brother. I couldn't figure uh -huh. it out. That I'm a brother or an uncle, I'm closer to a father than she calls me. As a matter of fact, there was another woman who, who calls me like her dad. You know? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> because
because I was closer to a father for this than I was like a friend or a brother. You know, just say dad. But uncle is something. As a matter of fact, I have a, a, one of my nephew's uh, wives bought me a T-shirt that says Funkle, F-U-N-C-L-E. You know, just like a dad, only cooler is what it says. <laughs> well, you know what's good is when your, your nieces and nephews have children of their own, which makes you a great uncle, and that's a grunkle, which you have to admit is a great word. Yeah, I like grunkle. I'm going to have to start using Grunkle. Yeah. Because, like, you know, like for my brother, he's a grunkle now to a mm-hmm. lot of kids. And, you know, he's a grumpy guy, too, so it's just perfect. <laughs> grunkle Bill. Yeah. Grunkle Bill is... I have yeah. a um, I have a great nephew who who has autism. Right? He can't remember anybody's names except me. <laughs> it's Uncle Clarence. Because I'll sit there. We went through Lynn, We went through from the Civil War to the Vietnam War. He's ten. Them taking facts and figures. He's Rain Man <laughs> and all this kind. Of, and I just sat there and listened to him and then questioning. You know, instead of like just getting bored with him and telling him to go away. <laughs> Ninety minutes. <laughs> me just stand there looking at him and asking him questions and making bad jokes about his stuff. It's pretty fun. But I thought, and he told his dad, he said, my nephew, he says, uh, old Clarence, did uh, Tavius tell him what he calls you? I'm like, no. He says you're epic. Awesome. <laughs> That's like the best president wow. I've ever gotten from a nephew. Yeah, that, that is putting on air for it. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's, right. That's wonderful. Hey, uh, you. Yeah. You've talked me right out of the show here. I'm I was trying to. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Oh, Susan had uh, another grandchild. I She'll yeah. be joining us tomorrow. So, yeah, the baby finally dropped. Just you know what? I'm going to not call while Susan's off for spite. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, you. All right. Have a good day. Bye. You too. You okay. too. And all of you guys, you have a good one. It certainly helps that the son has decided to rejoin us. Whoa, can't wait. Thank you for being here. I'll be back tomorrow. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.